again. This is David Bear, and welcome to Bear Talk. The topic today is going to be uh, the question of secularization. Uh, how has religion in America changed in the last 60 years or so? And is America getting less religious or are Americans getting less religious? My guest today is Mark Chavis, a professor at Duke University and one of the leading figures today in the sociology of religion. He's the author of, well, of many things, but he's the author of a short, easily accessible book uh, called American Religion Contemporary Trends, uh, which is the basis for our conversation. Now, I actually uh, know Mark from uh, years back, and he helped me quite a bit when I was doing research on uh, religious life in Hungary. And so I was able to twist his arm and get him to agree to come on to uh, my podcast. The, the com- our conversation was uh, lasted a good hour. We covered a lot of questions and topics. And so I'm going to keep this introduction short and just drop you right into the conversation. So here it is. Mark, thanks for uh, coming on my uh, podcast to discuss um, uh, the situation or changes in American religion. So I, I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having um, me. So I'm kind of starting off uh, based you know, on your book, this short book, American Religion, Contemporary Trends, and I've used it in some classes. And I wonder if you could, just maybe if you could give an overview a little bit of um, what the recent trends are, how you see the recent trends in uh, and changes in American religion. What are the salient mm-hmm. features? Okay. Um, in a word, uh, decline. Um, in two words, slow decline um, is one of the big stories, I think. Um, pretty much however you measure, measure religious participation, whether by... Um, affiliation with religious groups or attendance or religious belief. Um, they all, all these indicators over now, uh, geez, uh, 40 years, um, maybe more show um, slow decline in the percentages of people who believe in God to attend religious services um, uh, weekly uh, who say they're affiliated with a religious group. Um, for a long time, um, it looked like the big story might be stability rather than rather than decline um, because the, the changes are that slow. Uh, uh, so we don't want to overstate the, the decline. Um, but in recent years, meaning 10 or 15, it's become clear we've kind of had enough data over a long enough period of time to see that um, the, the story really is is decline. Um, uh, again, it, 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 one has to put this in context of uh, I don't want to overstate it. Uh, there's not a collapse happening. Um, uh, and by world standards, the U.S. remains very religious uh, by uh, comparison to uh, Europe and Australia and Canada even. Um, so uh, so we don't want to overstate it. I don't want to overstate it. But nevertheless, uh, even as we remain very religious uh, as a society by world standards, there are these signs of, of, of decline. Um, there's other changes that are, don't have to do with decline. You know, we can talk about, uh, increasing religious diversity, um, uh, certain kinds of trends in American congregations. Um, but one big, big story is the, is the decline. Well, so the, the, the thing everybody hears about, right. Every, there's always an article about this every, you know, I don't know, every month or a couple months is the rise of the nuns. Right? Yes. So yes, you can't so get away the, from it. <laughs> what's the story there with the, with the rise of the, of the nuns or what's going on with that? The, the nuns being people who have no religious affiliation. Right. It's the oldest joke in the sociology of religion to say the rise, you know, there's a lot of the rise of the nuns. I mean, N O N E S not N U N S. That's right. it's uh, not the, funny. That's, the problem with the joke, but <laughs> it's the oldest joke. Believe it or not, you can still get a chuckle out of it, yeah. uh, even though everybody knows it's coming. And uh, yeah. uh, anyway, um, yes. So the percentage of people who, when you ask them, "What's your religious affiliation?" say, "I'm nothing," has been steadily increasing. Um, it's now probably over 20% or 20%-ish of the, of the, of the, 
population, the adult population in the U.S. says, I'm nothing. Uh, that's been increasing for a long time. We have a data point on that from the 1950s uh, when that question was asked, and it was like 2% or something. Um, uh, it, it's went up to about nine or 10% by the 1990s. And then it's really increased quickly since then. So it, it was increasing slowly from the fifties to the nineties. And then the pace of, of increase in the, the nuns um, increased. Um, it, there, there's some, you know, several things to understand about it. One is it, this is not about religious belief or participation. It's only about when directly asked, what's your religious affiliation? Uh, what do people say when asked that question? Now, it's always been true that, the, and this, this uh, percent who say I'm nothing has gone up much faster than, say, church attendance rates have gone down or belief in God has gone down. The percent saying I'm nothing has gone up way, way faster. And the reason for that is that it, there's always been obviously religiously inactive people. And what's happened is that in recent years, uh, those people are more likely to say I'm nothing. That is some time ago, um, say in the you know 1980s, um, uh, people who were religiously inactive uh, in, in any meaningful way would still say I'm Catholic or I'm Presbyterian or I'm Baptist or, or I'm whatever, when you ask them, what's your religious affiliation? But what's happened is that those, that population of religiously inactive people, essentially religiously inactive people is more likely now to kind of take that final step and say, you know what, I'm nothing. I'm not even going to maintain this identity um, enough to, to tell a, Holster that, uh, that 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 I'm uh, Catholic or Protestant or whatever. Um, so so it's it's an identity shift, which is meaningful. I, I don't want to downplay that. It's um, uh, but it's not the same as a shift in behavior or uh, belief. So it's. So you don't think that that's a sign of increased uh, a larger percentage of the population that's religiously inactive? I mean, it, it, uh, it it's a sign, but it's it's got this particular meaning, though. It's I mean, it's pointing in the same direction. It is that's part of the story. But the reason it's changed so much faster than the more direct measures of participation, mm -hmm. like church attendance, is because a lot of it is this uh, different kind of self-understanding of the religiously inactive uh, uh, part of the part of the population. Um, so I think that's an important uh, thing to grasp about the meaning of that. OK, because there's always this there's this argument, right? I don't know. Maybe you can explain it. I think you mentioned it and I've read it several places that the the best expert anyway, the explanation for the rise of the nuns is that people are, are it's kind of like a backlash uh, to sort of the religious right. I mean, this and in religious circles, this is a big debate, because if you're on, if you're a religious conservative, you don't like to hear this because then, it, it, you know, it sounds like religious conservatives are responsible for whatever. Mm -hmm. So so this in non-sociological circles, this argument generates some debate or, you know, discomfort. So what exactly is what is this argument that says that uh, the rise of the nuns is, is a sort of backlash to sort of conservative political Christianity? And then how should we understand that or evaluate? That? Yeah. Yes. So the argument is and again, it's important to understand this context that we're talking about a shift of the religiously inactive people from saying Yes, I'm Catholic or Baptist or Presbyterian or whatever. To saying, you know what, I'm nothing. That's what we're talking about—a shift in in the uh, from that one answer to the other. And the argument uh, about the backlash is that part of what's produced that, and it's not the whole story, uh, but it, it, it's because, as I said, the um, this trend has been this percent of nuns has been increasing since the 1950s. So the backlash part is offered as an explanation for why the pace of the increase has increased so much since the 1990s with the rise of the religious right. And the argument is essentially that because it is just an empirical fact that a very high percentage of the nuns are more on the politically liberal side than on the politically conservative side. So the argument is that if you're politically lean liberal, uh, lean to the liberal side that 
even though before you might have said, yes, I'm Baptist. Now, in your mind, you don't want to be associated with the because if Baptists are more associated with uh, the political conservatives um, in your mind, you don't want to be associated that way. And so that's making people uh, take that last step in their identity um, uh, uh, to um, uh, to saying I'm nothing. That's the argument. So it's about a kind of a psychological (laughs) uh, uh, argument about how. Uh, left-leaning people who are already religiously active, that's the key part, part um, are um, more likely to want to just say I'm nothing because of the, of the religious yeah, right. So, so, it's so, not, so, so it's not an argument that the sort of rise of the, uh, whatever, the religious right. So we're talking about maybe starting in the 80s and right. so forth, uh, the moral majority and these kind of things. So it's not an argument that the, the, the rise of the religious right has produced a kind of sorting uh, among uh, that uh, or something like that or, or So the sorting is a kind of a different thing, but it's not an argument that the rise of the religious right has pushed people out of churches. It's not Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. it's saying because I don't think anybody connects the rise of religious right to the declines in church tenants, for Uh example. But but people do connect it to the rise of the increasing number of people who say I'm nothing when asked that question. So that that's an important um, uh, distinction, I think, about that, that the, the, I, the backlash idea here is, is about one, this one particular indicator of secularization, not other indicators of secularization. The, um, uh, so, so I think that's an important distinction. Uh, th- okay. That. okay, well, so then what's the deal with the, I mean, there's also the, um, this sort of political this polarization, or I don't know, we call it sorting, right? So we see the yeah. you know, clear, there's clear alignments now with people who are self-identify as religious or church attending being basically politically conservative and 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 uh, non-church attenders being liberal. So there's a, there's a kind of a, uh, a political alignment going on, right? So what's the what's the argument about the political alignment then? Or how, how do we, which is a kind of sorting, how, or maybe that's a different point still, but what's mm-hmm. the deal with the political alignment? Yeah. Um, can I say one other yeah. thing about yeah, the sure. nuns no, before yeah, yeah, we go yeah, yeah. into the political uh, realignment? Um, another important thing that I think is important to clarify about the, the nuns is you'll often hear people say, oh, OK, these are just people who say they're not affiliated with a religious group, but they're, they still believe in God. They're still religiously active. They're still um, uh, they're just kind of uh, uh uh, uh, disenchanted with organized religion. And you'll hear people say that the, this is a reason to think that if if there was only some religious entrepreneur who could figure out how to appeal to the, uh, the, to the nuns, because they're still interested in religion there, um, they're just, uh, like I say, disenchanted from our current set of religious options <laughs> or organized options. Uh, so people will claim that the nuns are actually pretty religious, even though they say they're not affiliated with any religious group. And I think it's important to recognize that that's not true. <laughs> that the now it is true that the people who say they're nothing in terms of affiliation, uh, you know, it's not zero percent of them believe in God or zero percent of them attend religious services. It's it's higher than zero, but their levels of religious belief and practice are massively lower than among the affiliated. So this notion that the nuns are a kind of a seeker population out there waiting for um, the right kind of, of uh, religious uh, uh, innovation or entrepreneur uh, uh, to speak to them is, um, is I think, not right. Um, I think that the nuns are mainly, uh, uh, you know, really pretty secular. Um, All right. So then so, we would say these nuns, it's a sign of a sort of, a, well, it's kind of an in, a sign of religious decline or a sign of growing secularization. Uh, but we don't want to say that the the driver of that is uh, sort of the rise of the religious right. The the driver of the secularization is something else. Is that is that fair? 
Well, there's different pieces of secularization. Uh-huh. I would say the rise of religious right is a factor in the rise of the nuns, the increase in the nuns, but maybe not so much a factor in declining church attendance as a, as a, a different aspect of, of secularization. Okay. Well, okay. So what, what, what do you have an, a theory about the reasons for declining church attendance or no, that's just too. Uh... Yeah, it's, um, you know, there's lots to say about that. Um, so, so one thing to say is actually with all of these indicators, nuns, attendance, belief in God, the, 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 uh, the change is being driven by generational differences, by differences between cohorts, by the fact that younger people are less religious than older people. It's not so much driven by individual people becoming less religious as life goes on. It's that uh, people who are in their Twenties and thirties are less religious than people who are in their forties and fifties. People who are in their forties and fifties are less religious than people in their sixties and seventies. And that's been going on for a very long time in American religion. That each cohort is a little less religious than the cohort that that came before it. Um, and it's kind of an important fact about social change in general is that you can get massive social change even if no individual ever changes. <laughs> And that's the the kind of the situation here is that people uh, uh, kind of don't get much more or less religious as they age, but the next generation is a little less religious than the one before it. So over the long term, as of course the younger generations replace the older generations, um, the overall the society becomes less religious um, because of cohort change. Um, so that's a. <clears throat> Well, so this is gener- so that's a generational change. And do we know when that I mean, do we know when that so every generation is less religious than the preceding generation? And do we know when that started or do we not have data that goes back that far? So is it just to, from when we started keeping data, getting good data on this? Yes. For as long as we have data, <clears throat> that's what it looks like, um, which means that. Excuse me, because, you know, so if we have good survey data, you know, from the 1970s and there are people who are, you know, 80 years old in the 1970s. So we ask them, uh, you know, they are you you kind of are looking back 100 years uh, ish um, uh, and um, there are it's not an even uh, shift from each cohort. So, for example, it looks like the baby boom cohort was particularly uh, less religious than their parents, than the cohort before them, and that the cohorts after that are not it's not the same rate of change, um, mm-hmm. uh, but it, it does still look like it's each court's going in that direction. But we um, don't know before the, uh, I guess we got the generation before the. Yeah, there are before that. Uh, we can see back to people born in the you know first part of the 20th century, basically. Uh, uh, and so it looks like, you know, the people born in the 1920s were less religious than the people born in the 1910s. We, we can see far, see that far back. In the, not so much earlier than that but we can see that far back in the, uh-huh so even the people in the 1910s or so forth yeah more it really so. looks like and also this one of the striking things about this is that this is the same thing you see the same thing throughout the western world this is also what's driving secularization in in europe and uh, uh, uh canada and um and australia the is is the same you see these same long-term generational uh shifts um and so uh, there's something pretty fundamental <laughs> happening, it seems, across the Western world in um, uh, uh, th- that is essentially uh, reducing transmission of religion from one generation to the to the next. Um, uh, again, I don't want to over, you know, be overly dramatic about it, but. You know, over the long term, each cohort a little less religious than the one before it is, uh, you know, will make a big difference. And and it's also why it's um, so difficult to imagine um, how it would change, how it would turn around, because, uh, you know, that's a pretty deep process. uh, uh, And for it to turn around, you'd have to have... um, 
it's hard to see what what dynamic could turn could affect this long term um, transmission we, from ge- across generations. But we don't know exactly when it started. So it's but it, it started up sometime before. It, it, as far as we know, it could have started before we even had that. Yes, that's right. Yeah, I mean, classic theories of secularization uh, would date the beginning at the beginning of you know the industrial revolution or something or the uh, you know with uh, rising standards of living and shifts from agriculture to to urban living and um, so you know that that's the classic kind of. Uh, 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 things to point to as the the quote unquote beginnings so but but of course the united states is was is basically even now is different than, than that's you know, right right so what's the reason so it's either started later this process is either started later in the united states or yeah. anyway something's different about the united states so what or america so yeah. what what's the reason that the do are there any theories about why it's different in america yes um there are theories uh, i don't think there's any one answer to this and and it continues to be debated um one uh theory is that our history of church state separation has kept religion more vital longer um because it makes uh uh uh, clergy and religious leaders have to be more responsive to what people want in in religion, and so that will keep them engaged uh, more than if the clergy are civil servants whose uh, livelihood doesn't depend on voluntary contributions of of the of the people. Um, uh, that's one uh, uh, theory. Um, another one I find interesting observation I think is that. It was only in the um, uh, after the basically the 1970s up till the 1960s, um, 70s, one wouldn't have said that the U.S. looked a lot more religious than Europe. We were kind of in the middle of pack. Some countries in Europe were more religious, some were less. The um, so the U.S. only and and everybody declined in the 1960s. Everybody meaning the uh, you know, every country, uh, essentially. And, um, but we didn't decline as fast after that, uh, as, as, uh, the rest of Europe did. And so that's what has led people to call attention to, uh, uh, developments here in the seventies and eighties that kept us, off of the trajectory um, that so if we, if we were having this conversation in 1965, people might have been saying we're on the exact same trajectory that that uh, uh, the rest of that Europe is on European countries are on um, uh, Western European countries on and 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 one wouldn't have been able to uh, you wouldn't have thought the US is qualitatively different in the way we look at that way now. And so, um, so, so one, another kind of explanation is that it's because of developments after the 19, um, basically that we had a backlash to the secularization of the 1960s to the um, sexual revolution and, uh, uh, you know, dramatic shifts in gender norms, um, uh, that we had a backlash to that, that other parts of the world didn't. So that's another kind of. And that backlash um, would would explain uh, higher religious participation in the United States. Is that yes. The idea? Yes. That's the idea that the um, that the conservative um, backlash to uh, liberalizing gender norms and norms about sexuality, for example, um, uh, uh, was. Uh, uh, promoted by conservative churches and that that kept people uh, who were uncomfortable with those shifts, uh, kept them more religiously active um, because churches uh, uh, were a place for um, uh, that uh, was simpatico with that, uh, with, with those conservative views on those issues. So that would be an argument that would suggest that the 
uh, well, of course, I'm oversimplifying here. So then the, the conservative, the rise of the religious, religious right then actually contribute to higher religious participation. Yes, that's right. That's uh, that's right. That's so, uh, yes. OK, so there's one there's one version of this uh, theory. I don't know if I'm overstepping. You're going to correct me in a minute. But so there's one sort of version that says that the relig- rise of the religious right sort of exce- uh, contributed to a kind of uh, to some, at least it'll contribute to the nuns, so some kind yes, of that's right. secularization. And there's another argument which says the rise of religious right contributed to enhance religious participation. I mean, those, right? Is that? I mean, those seem to be like directly opposite. Uh, they're arguing yeah. different directions. Well, it, it's it's about different aspects. Like I was saying before, uh-huh. it's about different indicators, and in that the the rise of the nuns is really it's not exactly the same thing as the decline of participation. So it's a different. Well, dynamic. All right. So let me let me because that I, you've been very um, cautious in that nun thing. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and so let, let me just see. So um, and I, I, you you would know. I mean I don't know, but uh, you know in the, if you read the, you know this book American Grace, right? That it's kind of well known. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Robert Putnam. Uh, Robert Putnam, David Campbell. Yeah, and and as I under uh, maybe I got it wrong, but as I understand the argument, uh, one of the arguments they make is they say there was a kind of I think they call it a you know the sexual revolution was a period shift or it was like a huge yeah. like explosion or something or and everything shifted uh, sort of not just generational but it was just a total societal shift in attitudes towards basically sexual sexuality it was things connected with sexuality, uh, gender roles and and everything and. Uh, uh, and that giant shift correlated with uh, lower religious, with sort of lower measures of religious. And maybe I'm getting this wrong. So that people who who accepted the the change to understanding of sexuality were also coming in lower on on markers of religious. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what we call it. Religious identity. Religiosity. Yeah. Religiosity. So mm-hmm. is that right? Is that correct? Or is that wrong? Yeah, no, I think that's that's right. And then the what they call the the first aftershock is what I was referring to as kind of the conservative backlash to that of um, uh, of uh, uh, conservative churches and conser- so another thing is in this nineteen seventies and nineteen eighties period. That's when the um, the mainline Protestants, really starting in the '60s and maybe even before that, really the bottom the fell out, uh, lost a lot of people, um, and the evangelical and conservative Protestant uh, groups, they maybe grew a little bit, but the main thing to say is they didn't decline at their rate, so they retained people when the main line was hemorrhaging people. And so the uh, what people think of as the the rise of evangelicalism in that period, I think is is more accurately understood as uh, uh, the collapse of the main line, which meant that at a time when evangelical conservatives were were uh, were more holding their own um, and um and the, the, the Putnam Campbell idea is that part of holding their own there was the uh, kind of holding the line on conservative uh, uh, mores around sexuality. Uh, so, the, the, with sexuality. so the shift that took place in the 60s and 70s on on whatever socialist or sexual issues correlates. We don't know what caused what, but it correlates with uh, declining religiosity. And that basically impacted the mainline Protestant churches primarily, whereas the evangelical churches, uh, they didn't shift on the sexual mores and they didn't shift on the on the religiosity. Yeah, they, that, they, they stay held their own. Is that the, yes, the idea? Yes, that is the idea. And by the way, that's that they have started to decline since then. And, uh, uh-huh. uh, you know, a big question, I think, at the moment, looking into the next, um, you know, couple of decades or something, is whether the evangelical trajectories will start to look like the mainland 
mainline trajectories looked over the last several decades. And, uh, so, uh, that that remains remains to be. Seen. So there's no way to try to find out with this correlation where we can find a cause if one thing caused the other. If the secularization or the, the decline in religiosity caused the change in the sexual attitudes or the sexual attitudes. There's no way it could cause the change in the religious attitudes. We just can't we can't sort that out. We don't have the ability. Is that it? I would say it's it's really difficult to be definitive about about that yeah it's way easier to describe <laughs> the the patterns and the correlations than to uh uh be confident about about what what's causing what um you know although you know there's some things um uh i think there's some things that that we can say um about the different trajectories of the uh more mainline and um and uh, conservative Protestants um, that are maybe not exactly the same thing as the uh, sexual mores. But for example, we know that conservative, uh, this isn't just true among Protestants, conservative religious people have more kids than uh, less conservative religious people or than secular people. And so part of the differential over the long term is have having more kids um, well that okay so that i see that that because they're better at transmitting i mean it's clear that it's clear I, that, I mean i mean they literally have more kids like yeah. the, the 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 families are bigger well they have so, more kids and that makes them better at transmitting their yeah right, well because right, you, right. you could have the same transmission rate but if you have uh-huh. a bigger denominator you'll have more people yeah, okay the, well right okay the, uh, yeah but, but i mean that that that, that that's what we're talking about generational changes we're not talking yeah. about a periodic shift or period, whatever. No, that's I mean, right. So I'm talking about longer term yeah. trajectories of the, the, I mean, this is partly a, a theme that I like to emphasize actually in studying American religion and maybe religious change in general is that to me, the most important dynamics are these long-term dynamics. You know, the yeah, things happen in this or that decade and the, uh, that push things up or down a little bit, um, or that shift trajectories a little bit. And, you know, obviously that's, we're living through things and that, but we want to understand those. But I think the longer term uh, demographic shifts, these fertility differences, um, I don't think I've talked yet about the differences, uh, uh, the, 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 dramatic effect, I think, shifts in family structure and household right. structure are having on on these longer term. Um, uh, so in a way, I, my, I tend to start thinking about the longer term dynamics uh, uh, rather well, that, than what happened in the 80s. So that um, makes that I understand that. I mean, I want to talk about that. So that that but that that is intuitive to me that, that you were talking. We're looking at long term changes rather yeah. than uh, shock or the shock of the sexual revolution. But uh, it does seem like the there's something that this the sexual revolution, the shock of that did something right? I, it, yeah. or or maybe yeah, that's just a sort of a, a, a I, 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 no, I totally agree. I would say what it did was it accelerated. So that that's why that baby boom. Co- if you kind of draw a graph of the religiosity of each cohort, the line between the baby boom cohort and the one before it is it's further down than the ones, you know, the line, the difference between the lines above that or the difference between the lines below that. It was a kick. kick, Exactly. Uh So it accelerated. I think uh, that, that the difference between the baby boom generation and the generation before is bigger than other generational differences before or since, but it's not, it's not the only generational difference that, that, that we see. That's, that's maybe how I would put it, that it, it, it accelerated, uh, that generation was very different <laughs> than, uh, uh, th- than the generation before, partly because that was also, by the way, the generation where mass higher education, um, uh, uh, kicked in in a in a big way. So p- part of what set that generation apart is is that they a much higher percentage of them were more educated than their parents were, um, which was is part of that story of the the uh, the, the shift between the baby boom and the and the generation before it. Um, uh, so um, 
Okay, well, let's talk about the the political polarization, and then yeah. we'll try to get to the, the the larger trend thing. Okay, so that so maybe just I mean, there's also this dynamic or phenomenon of the sort of political alignment. Yes. Uh, so maybe just could you just describe that or summarize that? Yeah. Um, so one way to kind of summarize the basic pattern is that in the 1970s, the correlation between being uh, between church attendance and voting Republican was essentially zero. That is, if you knew somebody was a uh, heavy, you know, active church member, you couldn't predict how they how they voted. Mm-hmm. Today, being a uh, 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 church students is one of the best predictors of voting Republican. Uh, that, that's, uh, so that's the big sh- <laughs> one way to summarize the big shift is that that religiosity itself has become identified with um, uh, uh, conservative politics, uh, basically. So could, we, could we take that kind of, so that's, I don't recall this as political alignment or religious or this political polarization within, well, the political alignment of religion and, and politics. Is that a, is that a symptom or a sign of an underlying secularization? I mean, do you think we can link these two things together? Um, I don't know. Uh, I, I think, the decline of the main line is part of that story um, that uh, uh, that the I mean, I get let me back up. I think I think I'd say that the political polarization story and its connections with religion, I think it's kind of a separate issue from secularization. I guess that's what I you what do. I'd say mm-hmm. that. Yeah, I think. Uh-huh. Um, uh, I don't know how I'd try to connect. I think it's one of the things that's happening in, in, well, I don't know. I mean, the, the kind of the main line, the fact that secular um, uh, people are more uh, politically liberal, you know, that's part of the story too. Um, so I, so uh, yeah, I guess maybe that's the connection. Sorry, I'm bumbling on this. Yeah, that's okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But the fact that religiosity has declined most among political liberals contributes to this polarization, to this stronger association between religiosity and um, uh, uh, between religiosity and and. Uh, Politics. Yeah, so there's um, a greater. So I, guess, so I guess that's a yeah. connection. There's like a greater. If we're talking from the point of view of religious commitment or religiosity, there's a greater attrition rate among the people who are politically liberal. Yeah. So yeah. All that's, I, yes, all that's left think, is is conservative religious people. Yes, so I think it. I think that is part of the story. Yeah. Or, or the collapse of the mainline Protestants. So I mean, maybe the even. I don't know. If this is true. I'm just the evangelical Christians may have all, because right now we basically have evangelical Christians and we kind of have Catholic. Uh, but evangelical Christians may always have been uh, maybe there was always a correlation between Republican right. voting and evangelicals. And the reason why there wasn't that correlation all overall was because of the mainline Protestants yeah. and if the mainline Protestants collapsed. And what you've got left are the, right. the Republican Christians. Yes. I think that, I think that is, I think that is part of the story. Yes. But there's no, there's no self-sorting or there's not very much sorting of, of people, or this is a question I say, uh, people leaving the sort of the liberal mainline Christians or religious people leaving the mainline uh, liberal churches and joining the conservative churches. So you don't see a, or do you see a kind of uh, self-sorting? Not not very much. No, there's some of course, but not very much. I I think one uh, important dynamic there is that a, a different kind of shift has stopped happening, meaning it used to be that the main line was steadily replenished by upwardly mobile uh, people who were raised conservative Protestant were upwardly mobile economically and became, you know, Baptists who became Presbyterians yeah. or something as as time went on. And that essentially stopped happening. Not 100 percent, but that that flow of upwardly mobile people from conservative religion to more liberal religion um, uh, stopped happening uh, sometime in the last in the last few decades. And so it's not so much that people left mainline and joined evangelical churches. It's more that people stopped 
<laughs> uh, leaving evangelical churches and joining um, uh, uh, mainline churches. Uh, so, so they so start moving from the conservative to the more yes. to the more moderate. They used yes, to, because there weren't the moderate wasn't there or something. So they just they're either conservative. Well, or I, I think that yeah, they just stayed because it wasn't there weren't these issues of respectability anymore uh, oh. uh, associated with what denomination you are. And, uh, um, uh, I think that's that's part of it. So there wasn't the same kind of connection between social class and what Protestant denomination you are. Um, uh, and so there isn't there wasn't the same kind of uh, pressure, social pressure or something to. Um, OK, because this is I mean, this is maybe more. This is just a more sort of, I guess, as like a student question here. So because mm-hmm. when I when I was a. Uh, when I studied this stuff, when it was 20 or whatever it was years ago, I mean, the, the sect, the church stuff was very, well, it was a topic, but nobody is talking about the, as far as I can tell, the sect, the church hypothesis I- anymore. I don't think I'm so, but I, let me just sort of explain what it is. Cause probably the readers or the listeners don't know. Right. So the idea is you can correct me if I'm wrong, of course. Okay. So the idea, the theory was, or maybe still is that, uh, you have basically sex in churches. So this is not, this is just neutral. It's not pejorative. A sect is a religious group that is in high tension with the society because it's more committed to the teachings. And a church is a, is a, a group that's in low tension. It's more comfortable with society, religious group. So the theory was, the original theory was uh, you had Christian groups that started out very committed to whatever the teachings of Jesus or the purity of the message. And they were sex. They lived in high tension there because of their their fidelity to the teachings of Jesus or the teachings the, the teachings they lived they were very strict and they lived in high tension and then they would be successful and they would as they got successful they get more members and they have to they have to accommodate the society and they would become uh, uh, less strict they become churches and then some people would get upset okay about this who because they wanted the strict commitment and they would break away and form a new sect so the church would a breakaway group would form a sect a strict group and then it would evolve into a church and it's sort of like in a, a i don't know an eternal or unending process mm-hmm. of, of sort of high commitment high tension uh low tension low commitment so okay so that's the uh, that's the theory uh and you could if you were looking at this just superficially you'd say aha uh well we had these uh mainline Protestant churches that are sort of churches and they're getting less and less intention and more and more accommodating. And so people are breaking away who don't like it and forming their high tension groups. This would be maybe the conservative groups. And then we would see this process, but uh, uh, this sort of dynamic, but it basically that's not true, right? Or is this, this is a totally, this theory is totally of no use today. Would you say that or what would. Um, I, I, I would say, I would not, I don't think the theory uh, much explains our political polarization situation. Mm-hmm. I, I do think the theory had retained some validity for certain developments in 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 religion and certain religious differences of the sort you described. So uh, so I, I wouldn't uh, abandon those concepts uh, in those theory exactly. But part of the reason I don't think it it works to think about this liberal conservative. Uh, uh, difference is because I, conservative religious groups are not much in tension with their mm. surroundings. <laughs> they're, you know, in tension with, you know, I don't know, uh, their idea of the, you know, mass media or something like that in the, uh, or with, uh, you know, Hollywood or something, but, but they're not in tension with their, you know, the idea that, uh, you know, the uh, Baptist uh, church in, um, you know, a North Carolina town is in tension with its environment uh just doesn't work. Conservative religion is not the same thing as high tension religion. I guess that's what I want to say. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and so that's why I don't think it it gets us very far in thinking about different trajectories of conservative and liberal religion, because I don't think uh, I don't think the concept of tension works in that. Uh, it's it's not it's not liberal conservative is not the same thing as high tension, could, low yeah. tension in the yeah. in this environment. Okay. Yeah. And see, uh, 
So from my point of view now, I'm just not a sociological point of view, right? It just seems to me that what's driving a lot of the dynamics is the, the politics is more determinative than the, yeah. than no, the this, religion. I'm glad you came back to that because yeah. this is another uh, uh, Putnam and Campbell in American Grace made this point. And there's uh, a book by Michelle Margolis uh, who, who makes this point uh, uh, kind of uh, at length is that there is is exactly this that the politics people's politics is driving their religious choices more than people realize uh like kind of the i think the common sense view is that religion is the primordial thing <laughs> and people kind of derive their politics from their from their religion but what what we see is that it go it does go in the other direction people are choosing churches because of their politics people are becoming uh you know uh involved religiously in one in one side or the other because of their politics so it's definitely true that uh uh it's not just the religious difference driving the the political differences there's kind of two different sorting processes from two different directions reinforcing each other at the moment because for me, and this, and again, I'm not because to me that would be a, a one a sort of an angle, or I would think well, that's a kind of a, a symptom or a sign of a, a, some kind of secularization. At least if if the political identity is stronger or is the organizing force of the. So I mean, what people really, it's all related to identity, right? These are things yeah. that you identify, and if your and your religious commitments or your faith can be a, a, a formative of your identity, and your politics can be formative. Of, so it, you know, it's kind of a package. Uh, but if the if the if it's true that the political stuff is driving, you know, and the religion is sort of hooking up to the politics, uh, that then the politics is a stronger force uh, yeah. than the religion. And that right. to me would be that would be a sign that the religion is not very vital or less vital than than at least a theologian would like it to be. I, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So there's a whole nother way of thinking about secularization that I think you just articulated, which is a totally valid way, maybe a more valid way that we've sort of been talking so far about secularization understood simply as how religious people are as individuals. But a whole nother way of thinking about it is how socially significant is religion in a society, in a culture, in people's lives. So everybody could be highly religious in certain kind of ways, but as you said, not have it be a driving force in their in their lives relative to, to other things. These two things are probably related, but but they are they are different. Uh, sometimes I've talked about uh, religion, uh, religious authority. We can ask about the uh, you know uh, scope of religious authority, religious institutions. Uh, influence on people's lives, clergy influence on people's lives, clergy influence on other part, other sectors of society, that kind of thing as a separate issue from how religious individual people are. Um, mm -hmm. And so, yeah, mm -hmm. I, so I agree that that it, it, secularization understood in this more kind of social in terms of its social significance um, is a different thing from uh, uh, how religious people are. All right, so let's talk about uh, then the causes. Or I mean, we can't sort out the causes of secularism. Well, maybe we better define what we mean quickly, and because I want to get to the transmission stuff. The but if we're talking about secularization, or how would you, uh, you know, I, twenty years ago, what was supposedly the secularization thesis was 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 out, and I guess now it's kind of making a comeback. So let's let's uh, what is the secularization thesis exactly? Mm -hmm. Um. So there are different versions. Um, as I just said, one, uh, I guess most uh, uh, crudely or simply, the secularization thesis is that aspects of modern society, uh, that, that religion will have less social significance in more modern societies uh, with with modern, you know, having to be <laughs> uh, having many aspects in, it, in and of itself um, uh, and dimensions. But the basic idea is that the um, uh, uh, the social conditions associated with modernity will um, weaken religion. Um, 
that's I guess that's in a nutshell. That's the, right. the essence of it. So it doesn't mean that religion goes away. Or no, that, that's one of the shifts in the is that early writers uh, did think religion would literally disappear uh, in in modern society. Nobody, I don't think nobody thinks that anymore. No. Uh, so. But the influence, or I don't know, the domain, the the, the extent of its influence, or or yes. social power, or yes. something like this, is diminished and it's more compartmentalized yes. or privatized, exactly. or something like that. So that's right. what we mean by we're talking about secularization. We're not saying that there aren't going to be any religious people. We're just saying right. that there's a it's it's less it's less significant or less influential or less formative in right. people's lives and in maybe society. Okay, yes. so. Uh, so that that theory seems to be coming back. I, I myself think that's true, but I guess I mean mm-hmm. it is. But that's that I, I'm persuaded of that. Um, so so what what might be some of the causes for this, or what, what which you know we're now we're talking about long general long long term right. trends. Yeah. So what do you think are the are the at least the more likely causes? Yeah. So, you know, conventionally, people point to um, uh, economic growth. Uh, uh, the more people are economic, the more the more people in a uh, society or culture who are economically comfortable, um, uh, the less they will turn to religion as a important uh uh, influence in their lives. Um, uh, the more, uh, uh, the more there's different autonomous spheres in society, meaning that there's a healthcare system that runs by its own uh, 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 norms and with its own set of professionals that are not controlled by religion or religious leaders. And, and there's an educational system that uh, uh, has some autonomy and there's a political system that has some autonomy and there's a social service system, you know, that the, the more society is uh, differentiated is uh, what yeah. the social scientists say institutionally. Um, it, religion will be, be one of those institutions, one of those sets of institutions and have its own realm, but be find it more difficult to um, uh, spread its wings uh, over other parts of the of the of people's lives and and uh, other institutions. So so social differentiation, institutional differentiation, is uh, is a big one. Um, that, in other words, that sort of means you're just less for religion to do, right? So because yeah. there, it just got its role is more narrow. In, in, yes, in, in, right? yes, I think that's a reasonable way to put it. Yeah. I mean, you're not going to have the orphanages or whatever be run right. by the social services and the hospital will be run by the whatever, right. the doctors so there's just there's just not much space for for there's just less for there's kids. less space that's yeah, right yeah mm-hmm. okay all right well that that's plausible okay mm-hmm. um well what about the um but now what about the transmission stuff that the the uh, like you you would mention it just in passing changes in the family and so yeah. forth there i mean yeah more um uh i think one of the biggest long-term drivers of declining religiosity is uh, changes in family structure, Uh, meaning people marrying later, uh, more people not marrying at all, um, and uh, having kids later, and more people not having not having kids at all, um, uh, more uh, divorce. uh, divorce rates have stabilized in recent years, but they have, were, you know, a lot more now than there was 50 years ago. And, the, um, and um, so th- those shifts and the reason for that is that kind of mainstream religion, liberal or conservative in the United States, the primary demographic base remains uh, 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 traditional families, meaning um, uh, uh, parents with kids. Uh, in the household or uh, older people whose kids are grown, but who live their lives in those in those uh, uh, in those families. Um, And so the fewer um, such households there are, um, the uh, smaller the the uh, you know, that, that's a, a, a loss to the demographic base of um, organized religion, basically. Um, so I think that and also we know that um, uh, 
uh, more religious intermarriage uh, th- than there used to be, and you know, across kind of major religious uh, lines, not just you know some types of Protestants marrying other types of Protestants, and and we know that uh, religious intermarriage will make it more likely that the kids of a religious intermarriage will will be less religious. Uh, it just just is a uh, a factor in religious transmission. So I think a lot of the shifts in family structure are part of the story of um, uh, uh, lower levels of religious transmission, basically uh, across generations. Yeah. So what I, so this makes sense to me too. And I would say just sort of broadly, this is just something I'm just uh, observations. These are my lay observations Mm -hmm. that uh, there, there's definitely problems with transmission uh, from one generation, there, there, the, the problem because this is a religious belief is a package, right? It's one of the things that you, the parents or somebody has to transmit to the next generation, uh, and so like a change in family structure or single parents or whatever makes it harder to transmit, basically because people are too busy, right? Or they're overburdened, uh, or you know, if it's a mixed, if it's marriage across, you know, then the people aren't going to agree, and so they're just not going to not going to transmit mm-hmm. it. So there are various. I think um, if you're looking at it from, just say, of someone who's involved in a church or congregation, it's sort of like death by a thousand cuts. Okay, yeah. so there's there's uh, well, there's problems with transmission because uh, maybe because of the changes in marriage structure. But then there's also something about the organization of time uh, makes it hard uh to transmit because then you you know even if you go go into church or whatever the when i was a kid we went to like the youth group in the evening and they know i mean you could still do that but nobody goes because they got Mm -hmm. they got the soccer or the something that's right Uh, more opportunities for leisure high high end high quality leisure activities for yeah uh, yeah. uh, everybody yes i do think that's part of the story people do work more hours uh, uh than they used to so um uh, so yes, I agree that, uh, that they may is move part more. of the story too. I, I yes. don't know if that's well, true, but if- yeah, that's a tough one because uh, uh, we're not. I, I'm not sure people are moving more. Uh, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. COVID aside, of course. The, yeah. Um, uh, I'm not sure how how geographic. There's certainly a long term move from uh, more rural areas into more uh, urban areas, which I do think is part of the part of the story because re- religion seems to be strongest in. Um, uh, kind of smaller scale communities, basically. And, uh, um, uh, and so the f- more people who live in urban areas, uh, I-, I think that's part of the story. Um, let me just one more thing, because we're running a little over, but I want to uh, this. Uh, there's also this thing you talk about in the, in the I guess it's a trend with the growth of uh, the size of congregations in the, yeah. in the unit. Um, to, what, what is going on there? Can you just summarize that uh, quickly? Yeah. Um, so everybody knows about megachurches and the, the uh, proliferation of, of megachurches, which um, what people don't recognize, I think, or appreciate is that megachurches are, are the tip of an iceberg, um, where the more fundamental phenomenon that's been happening is increasing concentration of people in larger churches. That is, uh, it, mega churches is one piece of that, but even uh, outside or beyond your stereotypical mega church, in every Protestant denomination in the U.S., even the liberal ones, even ones you don't think of that have stereotypical mega churches, more and more of the people are in the biggest churches. This is true for Episcopalians. You know, it's true for the United Church of Christ. It's true uh, uh, for you know the Lutherans, um, both Murray, Missouri Synod and ELCA. The um, it's um, it, basically any Protestant denomination. So within every religious niche, people. There's more people in the the bigger churches. Um, and what's driving that? Do we know? Yeah. Um, there's a lot of kind of like secular. There's a lot yeah. of ideas and theories. I don't think there's any one thing. It's clear that it started uh, ex- really happening in the 1970s, uh, in the middle of the 1970s. So something changed in the 1970s. Now, there's always been very big churches. There's been mega. And of course, Catholics are a different issue because they have always been mega churches because Catholic parishes are very large. So that's kind of a separate system, so to speak. Um, uh, but if thinking about Protestants, the um, uh, uh, there's always been big churches, but the 
proportion of people who are in the very biggest churches have has increased uh, since the 1970s, and it still seems to be increasing. It's been a few years since I've looked to see whether, because if you think about it, it has to level off at some point. Otherwise, everybody winds up in one giant church is the logical extreme, which seems unlikely to happen. So it's got to plateau at some at some point. Now, I'm not sure whether it's plateaued well, yet. So I, I, now I've got a theory. I'm just going to throw this out. Okay. Okay. Uh, and my theory is that it, it has to do with money. That uh, that they basically the small churches, the little rural churches, they can't they can't they can't afford to produce the salary for yeah. uh, the pastor or the. Yeah. Now, did you read my article on this? Is that where you? No, got I didn't read that. Did you say that? No, I didn't read that. I did me, say that. Yes. Yeah. I, I missed we, that. Yeah. What yeah. we need is an explanation that's kind of system wide, and that something shifted in the seventies. So. You can't just say money because it's always been true that small churches had less money than than bigger churches. Um, so, but what I think happened in the starting the 1970s is that the economics of running churches shifted to give more uh, uh, advantages to bigger to bigger churches. So that essentially the your you know hundred person church could afford less after the 1970s than it could afford before the 1970s. Yeah, that's, yeah. And the, uh, the, so that, you know, with uh, maybe because energy course uh, uh, costs really increased in the 1970s, um, uh, uh, denominations had, uh, you know, imposed minimum salary requirements for full-time ministers. A lot of denominations um, uh, uh, during that time, uh, the, the certain kind of costs, I think, local costs, costs of running a local church started to go up faster in the 1970s. Um, and so I do think I do think that's part of the story. I don't think it's the whole story. Um uh-huh. Another thing I think is is part of the story, although again it's it's hard to um, uh, I think there's an attraction of very large churches in a way part of the secularization story is that it's easier to be a free rider in a very large church than in a small right. church. Right. Okay, good. Because yeah. I wanted so this is another thing. Sorry, I'm gonna I mean in a small church. Uh, the people in the congregation have to do the stuff. They got to go right. in and they got to change the light bulbs. They got to make sure that everything, you know, they got to teach big, Sunday school. They got to do what yeah. beyond the boards and all that stuff. Right. And, and uh, so what happens is these big churches hire and, and even the music. So in a small, it's yeah. the choir. So it's just, the, you know, everyone's in the choir, but then yeah. in a big church, they're going to hire the musicians, have a, have a, you know, professional choir. Yeah. They're going to, and, and that makes it more appealing, right? Yes. I guess it makes the show uh, or the service nicer, but it, people just, don't want to they don't themselves do anything they're more passive other than maybe donating their money yeah yeah i i would put it that because a, a, a big part of the mega church the large church model is to have people in small groups of uh-huh. various sorts uh-huh. and to okay. get, uh-huh. get yeah. them involved that way uh-huh. and and that that happens a lot obviously but i would say the attraction part of the attraction is people can choose their level of involvement more easier, more easily. Mm-hmm, so if you mm-hmm. want to be more involved in a big church, you can find ways to be more involved I through see, all yeah, the small uh-huh. group structures. But if all you want to do is show up on Sunday and go home, you can also do that. You can mm-hmm. choose that. Mm-hmm, Whereas mm-hmm. that's a harder thing to do in a smaller church because people will ask you to do other stuff because they'll notice that you're there and the, um, right, right. And so I, I think part of the attraction is is uh, that if you want to only participate by going, you know, to the to the main service uh, on a Sunday, you can um, more easily without the social pressure to get to get more to get more involved. I, I think that's part of the story. And, and it's important to recognize that the growth of megachurches is not about these churches reaching unchurched people. It's about people shift church, you know, people who are churchgoers shifting from smaller and medium-sized churches into larger churches. That's the main dynamic. Not that there's no, uh, but people have done studies of, you know, surveys of people in churches of different sizes and asked them, where were you before? And the proportion of people who were uh, essentially unchurched 
before is about the same in very large churches as it is in small churches. So it's not that there's a higher proportion of of unchurched people. It's that uh, people are moving. You know, it's, it's not unlike the dynamic of the Walmart opening up on the outside of town and, you know, the uh, small shoe stores and hardware stores and so on. Uh, find it more difficult to 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 survive that were on main street that um it's not unlike that that dynamic and, and even in universities we have this dynamic too because the universities are getting you know bigger and bigger at least this, yeah. you know yeah. there's some there's something about whatever our maybe it's our age that it requires uh, larger i don't know yeah there's something about um well i mean it's a question are are i mean what one of the things I think is is difficult to assess is: Are there economies of scale in churches? Are big churches more economically efficient than smaller churches? And I, I don't know the answer to that question. I don't think it's so easy to 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 assess that because. Um, so, for example, we we have looked at uh, bigger churches have um, fewer. Uh, uh, more members per staff person than smaller churches do. You follow me? Yeah. And so you might say, oh, okay, so they're more efficient. But but you can't assess that without knowing whether people feel like they're getting the same quality of care and service, you know, pastoral care and service the, with the um, fewer staff people per uh, per, per member. And, and that's more difficult to, to, uh, to judge. Um, so to me, that's an interesting question is whether, and, and a question I don't know quite how to nail down is, uh, or the answer I don't know how to nail down is, is whether they're really, whether they really are more efficient um, uh, economically or, um, or, or just simply bigger. <laughs> um, okay. All right, Mark. So thanks a lot. That was a good conversation. I enjoyed it. It was interesting. Uh, you didn't answer all the questions the way I thought you were going to answer them. So it was oh, really? interesting Uh-oh. for me. So but okay, no, it was good. good. I learned something and I appreciate it. <laughs> And I appreciate all of you who are listening to the podcast. Um, I apologize for the one month hiatus. If you noticed, I'll uh, try to keep that from happening in the future and have an episode uh, within the next month. Uh, And so until next time, thanks for listening. Ciao.